Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, why was there controversy over Katie Taylor's big win? Now, Katie Taylor fights garner more attention from boxing fans, but also the uninitiated, um, much like the Olympics or perhaps Anthony Joshua bouts in the UK. So there's a lot of people who don't know a huge amount about boxing, hot taking all over the place. Um, and to those uninitiated, probably to the eternal annoyance of those who are more well-informed, boxing does seem to come with controversy. In fact, it kind of looks like it courts it a lot of the time. The 1st of June was no different. Katie Taylor became the most disputed, undisputed champion Ireland has seen. She had barely gotten all of those belts out of a ring when the backlash had started. And then, of course, there's the backlash to the backlash. Uh, right now, I'm not sure how disputed or undisputed her championship actually is um, and how hypocritical I'm being if I smile every time I see the 42 post a picture of her smiling black eyes looking at a mountain of ridiculous looking belts so to help me with find my moral compass I'm joined in studio today by the 42's resident boxing expert Gavin Casey and from across the water boxing promoter Lou DiBella. Gav I'm going to start with you and you're going to take me right back to basics for a couple of minutes. No worries. What was Katie fighting for on the 1st of June? She was fighting for all the marbles, as the uh, phrase goes in boxing, which is just basically all of the major belts. In modern boxing, there are four sanctioning bodies that are kind of recognized as being major. The WBC, the WBA, the IBF and the WBO. Uh, Each of them would have a recognized world title. And Katie Taylor was fighting for all four of those, as well as a belt belonging to Ring Magazine, which recognizes basically the very best fighter in the division. It kind of tends to come hand in hand with winning all of the other four belts and all of that packaged into one is described as uh, the undisputed title or you become the undisputed champion when you win them because who could possibly dispute it when you have all the belts well we'll get to that in a minute but (laughs) how is one belt better than the other belt or are they all equal belts Uh, on paper they're all equal some would argue that the wbc being um would would be the most prestigious given its history and the IBF and WBO uh, have come into play kind of over the last 15, 20 years more so, particularly the WBO, that'd be the newest one and many would argue it, it, it's kind of the cheapest one or the least prestigious one. But ultimately, if you win one, you're doing pretty well for yourself. And would I wreck your head if I ask why there's so many? Well, I suppose it, it you'd probably need a full podcast to, to answer it, but in summary, it's a symptom of capitalism. It's okay. it's basically just startup organizations looking to make a little bit of money for themselves. And one by one, they've crept into play. It used to be just uh, one world title back in, uh, well, going back, you know, a century now and around the 20s and 30s. And then for a long time, it was the WBC and WBA. And you would become undisputed champion by having two of those. Then in came the IBF and... It really is just... Uh, there was more room for more fights to be organised and someone had to organise them. Pretty much. I, look, it's a, the, it's a bone of contention for most boxing fans in this day and age that there are even four. Like There are more than four, by the way, but there are just four that are accepted now, reluctantly. As, uh, as worthy of fighting for. As well, as being considered legitimate world titles, whereas there are other organisations that will have world champions that are, you know, like WBU, WBF, all these organisations that nobody really cares about. And... When I'm writing about boxing, I wouldn't actually acknowledge them because it confuses people further. Four is enough. And Katie has five belts on top of, uh, or an extra belt on top of the four. So So back to Katie, how did she win the five belts? Who was she fighting? What went down? Yeah, so her opponent was Delphine Persoon, who 
is a Belgian fighter, was the WBC lightweight champion for the last five years. She was unbeaten in the last nine years. She went into the fight with a record of, she had over 40 wins with 18 knockouts, just one defeat, suffered nine years ago. I would have said when Taylor turned professional that Pursun was probably going to be her most difficult opponent, at least in this first stage of her career where she was fighting to become uh, the unequivocal ruler at lightweight. Pursun was probably the biggest obstacle on paper, both actually physically and and, uh, figuratively in the sense that she's the most worthy opponent. She has um, a wealth of experience. She's strong. She's tough. But she's also taller, physically stronger than most women in the division. And Actually, Gav, can you just explain lightweight? What weight are we talking about in kilos, pounds, stone, whichever way you want to do it? 100 and, I actually, my math is so bad. <laughs> I, I basically work with pounds when it comes to boxing. So it's 135 pounds. So if people have calculators or converters at home. I think that's probably about nine stone. Yeah, it's around yeah. that, yeah. Okay. Uh, so yeah, she, she's physically dominant in, in that weight class and... Proved it in the ring on Saturday night in the sense that she at times kind of physically bullied or attempted to physically bully Taylor, which opponents have tried to do in the past, but Taylor tends to hold her own. She's underestimated often in how strong she is, particularly up close uh, when things get up close and personal in there. Um, so Pursun was coming in with a chance on paper of winning the fight. She didn't feel as though she was going to get a fair crack at the whip or so she claims. She mentioned before she went to New York that she might have to get a stoppage to achieve a victory which a stoppage by a stoppage you mean knockout well any kind of, yeah knockout um i suppose if yeah if you were um unacquainted with the sport you, it would be a knockout but a stop a stoppage could be just a referee intervening and yeah. stopping the fight which would be a technical knockout it would be described as um now you can take that with a pinch of salt because she's obviously trying to uh plant the seeds even remind before the she judges to be fair yeah particularly the yeah the judges everybody involved um it reminded me a little bit of how maybe a, a rugby head coach might call into question a certain referee's approach to the breakdown or something, you know, where you can just just ever so slightly influence people. The interesting thing I think about Pursun from a kind of a casual fan's perspective is the fact that she's a policewoman at home. She has a day job. Um, she is. She used to work with the kind of railway police department where she would tend to suicides on the tracks. So she has seen a few things That's over the years. Tough and gig. Yes, indeed. And she made the point to us uh, in New York as well that she felt she would be harder than Katie in the ring just based on the fact that she turned professional after only 12 amateur fights because if she wanted to represent Belgium on the international stage, she would have had to pay for it herself and she couldn't afford it. She had a job as it was. Um, so she felt that the professional route would suit her schedule better and probably suit her pockets better as well. So... She sort of evinced the sense that she believed Taylor had this pampered upbringing within boxing because she was the golden girl in Ireland for so long. She was on a state grant of 40,000 euro, which was more than Pursun's salary for being a policewoman. Her being a policewoman, obviously, being balanced with the fact that she was a professional boxer. So she was confident, despite the fact that she claimed that she would need a, a stoppage or a knockout to win. A lot of people would have written her off on the basis that Katie Taylor has been so dominant for so long. Take take only her professional career for starters. Like she, nobody's come close to toppling her. Nobody's come close to uh, winning more than really three or four rounds against her. Jessica McCaskill took a couple of rounds off her, but everyone else, it's been pretty much plain sailing. A couple of grueling fights, but Taylor's always been by far the superior boxer and actually the superior fighter. And by that, I mean 
she's able to show her actual boxing skills, but also mix it up. And if she is in a war, she tends to come out on top. This is the first time really where she was in a war and found herself on the back foot an awful lot um, and was physically bullied at times. And it proved to be an extremely closely fought contest and one which was scored extremely closely as well. Yeah, take us through the scores of um, exactly how Katie did end up winning the fight. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Obviously, there's a lot of, or there have been a lot of cries to the contrary. Like many people will have watched the fight and felt that Pursun won it. The judges saw it differently. Uh, Don Trella had it 95-95. Alan Nace had it 96-94. And John Potteraj, I think it's pronounced, had it 96-94. To begin with, how boxing fights are scored, it's called the 10-must system, which means that in every round, one fighter must get 10 in their column and the other fighter will get usually nine if they've lost the round. If they suffer a knockdown and lose the round, they get an eight. If they suffer two knockdowns and lose the round, they get a seven and so on. There are no knockdowns in this fight, so uh, all of the rounds would have been 10-9 one way or the other. Now, it's scored obviously on a round-by-round basis in that there's a final tally at the end. So you could definitely make the argument that the people who felt pursuing won the fight were influenced slightly by her strong finish where in the 10th and final round she had taylor backed up and really poured it on her put her under a lot of physical pressure you could see taylor was physically wilting i would argue that another 30 or 40 seconds in that round and pursuing would have probably stopped taylor i think taylor was out on her feet and that might be your final impression of a fight and it might be your lasting impression of a fight if you're not scoring it round by round you might leave the tv thinking well Delphine she was definitely won the, the stronger person at the end exactly. and therefore is the, whereas the better you, fighter exactly whereas if you look at the first six rounds you could definitely make the case that Taylor won five of them I didn't personally I scored the fight a draw personally 95-95 and in how does York. the draw work then is that a round is scored so if it's 10-9 if it's a win for well, someone it, how it, is it, it would just be draw? that one fighter wins five rounds 10-9 and the other fighter wins five rounds 10-9 so you can't have a drawn round you c- technically can Certainly, if you were scoring at home, you could have a 10-10 round, but it's very much frowned upon for judges to avail of that luxury, we'll say. Like, judges are supposed to determine the winner of each round, and there are kind of criteria that they can follow. So the most important one, obviously, is clean punching. Um, Defence is meant to be scored as well. See, often it's going to be open to a judge's interpretation as well, and they'll have their own idea as to how a fighter wins a round, and there is no exact science, but there is a supposed criteria that, that they follow. Defence comes into it in terms of just not taking shots, who's more effective in, in their head movement, in their footwork, and in not shipping damage, basically. And if you can't really separate them, combining the two of those, then you take into consideration effective aggression, which basically means actually very much applies to what Pursun did, which was kind of march forward and, and kind of bully the, the other fighter backwards. Now, implied and effective aggression is the fact that it has to be actually worthwhile. Like, you can't just be shoving them around. Be flailing. Yeah, they, you have to be putting them under significant pressure, landing a few shots, even if they're not the cleanest shots in the world, at least doing a little bit of damage and exerting yourself or imposing your will upon the fight. And then finally, ring generalship, which is a very vague term and basically means whoever looks like they're controlling proceeding, proceedings. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be coming forward. Very often in that fight, Katie Taylor was was put on the back foot, but actually was dictating the tempo here and there because, again, she is the superior boxer. Um, so she was landing shots even on the back foot at times, and that technically should be scored kind of in Taylor's favour more so than Pursun's, even though Pursun is marching forward. So it is quite a convoluted system, and yet 
for decades upon decades, it's not really been challenged. Uh, there haven't even really been alternative suggestions for it. So um, it's an interesting one, I think, when a decision is as close as this one, people who maybe don't watch the sport will be like, wow, that, it was an absolute robbery or, you know, Pursun was within a whisker of stopping the fight there. It looked like Taylor was finished. How could she have lost the fight? Whereas if you score it round by round, which is what the judges do, which is not a novel concept by any means, it's the way the sport has been scored for decades, then you can definitely make the argument that Taylor did enough not to lose, as I had it, or maybe did enough to win. I'd be a little bit more sceptical about that. Uh, I just personally didn't see it that way, but I was only a round off seeing it that way. So what's the argument? We all woke up on Sunday morning and um, Katie had won the fight um, and almost immediately we were told, well, actually, you shouldn't be that happy about that because she shouldn't have won the fight. And this is boxing all over again. You you remember how we felt about Michael Conlon being cheated out of the Olympics. And now we're doing the exact same thing to this poor woman who's going back to her day job as a cop in um West Flanders. Yeah. So how are we how are we meant to square that all up? Like, what is the argument for the people who are saying she absolutely did not win that fight? What's their argument is they saw the fight a certain way and can't quite believe that it was as close as many other people have it. Like the f- individual rounds in this fight were almost all of them were so close that depending on which way a judge saw it, depending on one or two shots here or there, there was actually a pretty wide spectrum of potential results, I would have said. Like, if somebody had pursued him winning, pursued winning by two rounds, I wouldn't have necessarily argued. If somebody had pursued winning by a round, wouldn't have argued. Draw is how I had it. A draw is how one of the judges had it. And then the other two judges had Taylor winning by a round, which I don't think was outrageous by any stretch of the imagination. What do you think swayed it in Katie Taylor's favour? I would say... The very f- the, the first criterion to which I alluded a minute ago, which was clean punching, um, she definitely landed the cleaner work throughout the fight. A lot of it, again, was on the back foot and a lot of it was when she was under pressure or standing in the pocket a little bit too long and getting hit herself. But a lot of Pursun's damage was done with what we'd call the dark arts, elbows, headbutts, some of it intentional, some of it not. It was kind of a more roughhousing not style pretty. of fighting. Not pretty. Taylor's work was the prettier. And often that will influence judges purely because they can see the shots landing. You can see somebody's head being jarred back. And is that the purist, is that the boxing purist wants to see that stuff? Absolutely, yeah. That's pretty much, I mean, it is called boxing and that is pretty much what you would hope to see in nearly every fight. That being said, what transpired in that fight, which was a a very physical rough and tumble affair, was still a compelling piece of viewing, both in the arena and and watching it back. I think the cleaner work would have would have gone worked worked in Taylor's favour in the eyes of the judges. If you look at the punch stats afterwards, now I've seen a lot of people reach for this and say and use it as a justification for Taylor winning the fight, where they'll see the percentage of her punches landed was a, a, a fair bit higher than Pursun's. It doesn't really work like that because I mean you could land sixty more punches in the final round. It's still only a ten nine round. Yeah. But if you break it down round by round and see Taylor's percentage of shots landed is is higher in nearly every round, you kind of get an impression of what the judges might have seen. Again, just that cleaner work, a higher kind of ratio of punches landed versus punches thrown, whereas Pursun was missing a lot and she was cruder. And that will often work against fighters like this is not by any stretch of the imagination, uh, something new that we saw on Saturday where the slightly less pugilistically talented fighter didn't get uh, what she perceived to be a fair shake. 
there is the the pursuit argument though that she knew she says she knew going over that she didn't really have a, a fair crack at the whip and that she was going to lose this fight because Katie Taylor is the star. Katie Taylor is the one able to bring the purse. She's she's the golden girl of boxing. She was of amateur boxing. She won in in twenty twelve in the Olympics again to some controversy and she's won again here. How much does that come into play? I think it definitely will manifest itself subconsciously in the judge's mind that there is very much a clear A side here. The house fighter, the promoter's fighter, the fighter for whom most of the fans are cheering, the fighter with the bigger upside, as we'd call it in boxing, which is that there are probably more marketable opportunities for that fighter after this fight. But it, it that's not necessarily a... <sighs> an attempt to be underhanded or or to um to prevent justice from taking place in the ring it is just a little subconscious seed i think that might be planted like that's again not new um any challenger unheralded challenger now that's a bit harsh on pursuing to call her unheralded in the sense that she has an excellent record she has excellent wins on her cv and was a world title holder herself but somebody who nobody knows really outside of belgium coming on to fight in this major card against the biggest star in women's boxing, there is a perception, and it would be a fair perception, that you're up against it going in there. It's not to suggest that you're going to get robbed blind just because you're um, a little bit less heralded. It's just that a couple of rounds here or there, if they're extremely close, often the A-side fighter will get the benefit of the doubt. Unequivocally, that happens. It's like the offensive rule, like you give the benefit of the doubt to the... Exactly, exactly. Only far less fair. Um, and yet it is a reality and it's very much a, a part of, of the culture of the sport, whether you agree with it or not. I mean, I personally wouldn't agree with it. And yet. Is it a problem for the sport, going back to what I was saying about th- those people who come in for these big days and they're not there every single week? Like, it it might not be corruption or it might not be underhand, it might not be robbery, but it has a whiff of it. There are question marks. How problematic is that for boxing? I think it's problematic when it comes to accruing new fans, because if you were just a casual observer of the sport that tunes in for, say, a Gennady Golovkin against Canelo Alvarez fight, and you see Golovkin clearly winning the fight, and you see Canelo somehow inexplicably getting a draw the first time Canelo in the rematch won a really close decision. I I scored that fight a draw. People still cried foul. And they were, say, two major boxing events that there was kind of mainstream interest in because they were the two best middleweights on the planet. They're both very exciting fighters to watch. And both times people had genuine dissatisfaction and calls for dissatisfaction with the results. I think that, of course, is going to drive people away because if it seems scripted to the point that it's almost WWE-like, then why would you tune in? No offence to WWE fans. But at least with WWE, it's meant to be scripted. Yeah, right? like, yeah. it's um, meant to be that spectacle, whereas this is meant to be sport. Whereas this is meant to be sport, competitive sport. With a fight like Taylor's, I think there's a different argument to be made, which is that you mentioned there how like Pursun would go in with the perception that the, the cards are stacked against her. People will go in with that perception as well in their own way. Um... Maybe slightly differently, people will go in and expect Katie Taylor to dominate once again. And once Delphine Pursun, after two, three rounds, had achieved at least parity, of course, in your own mind, you're starting to think, wow, she's doing a lot better here than I expected. And you can form almost a reverse bias Mm. where 
you start to give the benefit of the doubt to the person who wasn't supposed to win. And I don't mean wasn't supposed to win in the script, quote unquote. I mean, who wasn't supposed to win in terms of the bookies odds, in terms of what you've seen of her opponent. And suddenly you get to the end of the 10th round, which he finishes very strongly. And you've already made your mind up at that point. And then wow. you're, you're actually cheering the underdog then, which <laughs> yeah, is way yeah. more normal for, it's, for people it's, to it's do. A, it's human nature, right? I, I don't think necessarily, I'm not saying that Irish people were sitting at home watching this fight, cheering Delphine Persuna on at the end, but certainly in their minds, a, a consensus may have formed that Persuna had done enough to win it. That's completely natural. I've, that's happened to me scoring fights many times. And when I've rewatched them, I've thought, okay, I was actually, I got a little bit carried away there. What you have to take into consideration as well is that a huge number of people who were up in arms in Ireland and abroad after this fight were not scoring the, the fight round by round. I mean, if you're a fan at home sitting with a can of unbranded beer <laughs> or, you know, just, just watching a, a fight with friends, it's not like you have a pen and paper out and you're doing the maths. You're just getting a sense or you're, a feeling. You're, you're judging it on a, on a hunch, on a feeling, yeah. So you, you kind of, you form your, your determination based on the general vibe of what you saw. And yet that's not how a fight is scored. So even if your opinion is, well, I actually just thought that person one, like, show me the maths before making the argument. It's kind of funny when you're saying the unconscious bias there. I really wanted Ajax to win the semi-final of the Champions League but once Spurs were that goal away you oh, okay. you just want to see that goal. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an ardent Manchester United fan and I'm ashamed to admit and I'm actually I can't even believe I've started this sentence but I will finish it that during Liverpool's final in Istanbul there was a tiny part of me. You want to see the goal. Like, well you just yeah. want to see like th- there are sporting moments that you see you know only a few times in your lifetime and yeah, of course, the mind wanders and you kind of think, you know what, feck it. <laughs> It'd be great to see it. Gab, before we change this into a complete sporting podcast on The Explainer, I'll stop you there. But I did want to implore you to check out what figure skating did when they were in the doldrums around whiffs of corruption and really bad scoring decisions. And they completely overhauled the scoring system since 2002. And it's really worked. There's way less controversy in the sport now. So it is something that can be done. So I would ask you to go check it out and tell boxing about it. But after that chat, I actually still have a few more questions and mostly for people who are involved in the money making side of boxing, because it seems to pervade so much of what goes on in the ring. Um, So I'm joined on the line now by Lou DiBella, who is a US boxing promoter. Uh, Thanks for joining us on The Explainer, Lou. We've been talking about the need to get bums on seats, uh, the need to create a crowd. Um, There's been a lot of talk over here since Katie's win about the need for boxing to have the right winner, to have the promoter's winner. And I was thinking, how much of that are the judges aware of when they get ringside on the night of a fight? Yuki, well, you know, first of all, I'm going to take objection to you saying the promoter's winners. Um, Katie Taylor is a star because she won an Olympic medal. She's a star because she has a fervent Irish uh, following. She's a star because she's a great fighter. She's a lovely lady. She's, you know, she's the complete package. She generates money for the television networks that televise her, the promoter who promotes her, the venue who, who hosts her. She generates money for tourism in the city she invites. You know, the A-side fighter, the star fighter, has a lot of innate advantages. Doesn't mean there's corruption, doesn't mean anyone's paying anyone off, but are people aware that sort of the house fighter, the money fighter, the fighter that generates the revenue, um, you know, sanctioning bodies, the bodies that give out the belts, they make their money based upon three, uh, upon sanctioning fees. Those sanctioning fees are on the promoter of the fighter that's champion. They're also on 
institutional reasons and biases toward um, a star, a champion, an attraction. But that's not, that's not, you know, you can't just point at Katie Taylor in that particular fight. Every title fight where there's a star fighter involved is an example. But then, Lou, does it influence what the judges do on a night and how they score a fight? Of course it does. Yeah, of course it does. Because the judges are also associated with the sanctioning bodies. The sanctioning bodies are aware and honor the star fighters. They, 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 they constantly praise and laud their champions and the star fighters. They know who the superstars are. You were saying there that there's a difference between having that awareness and corruption or cheating or payoffs. But how does boxing survive even the whiff of that? Like, how does a boxing promoter survive when people who aren't boxing fans have to try and untangle all of this? It's, it's been this way forever. And by the way, it turns off boxing fans. Judges should have nothing to do with ratings organizations. Judges can, should be completely independent. If a judge has a track record, as many do, of constantly favoring the favorite and the, and the money fighter, or that their scorecards are really out of whack. And by the way, the majority of judges are good and fair. Um, there's just a lot of decisions that aren't. And they happen to happen often in the biggest fights because those are the most economically significant. The fight's suffering by not having a, a, an appropriate system of judging. They have to remove. Look, if, if, if a promoter wants, there's no standardized um, accommodations or airfares for judges. The judges are appointed. And if a promoter wants to treat a judge like he's um, aristocracy, that that's not barred by anybody. And if you do that, might that judge be more predisposed toward the person putting him at the Ritz-Carlton as opposed to the person putting him at the Motel 6? Maybe. But the whole system has to be changed. And and, uh, and to be honest, it's a much longer conversation, and it's going to give me a headache if we try to do it in more specificity. You know, when you look at the other night, I, I love Katie Taylor. It was not a completely one-sided fight. She boxed pretty effectively early in the fight, but she didn't win the fight. And the thing that, that troubled me about watching that fight, um, it was a close fight, but it was a pretty clear who won, I thought. And what troubled me about it is I think that's the kind of fight that if you took a, a room full of um, school kids, seven or eight-year-olds, you know, innocent kids with no axe to grind and just sat them in front of a, a very good view of that fight and went one by one privately at the end of the fight, and said, which of those two ladies do you think won the fight? I think that overwhelmingly they would have said it was Delphine. You know, Delphine, who's an older fighter, who's, who rose to the occasion, who's been a great, great champion, she's held unified belts, she deserved a fair shake, too, and I don't think losing that fight was a fair shake. I mean, if they both left retaining their belts, it wouldn't have troubled me, and I thought it was a close fight. But, I mean, look, I just want to... There should be a rematch at some point. I don't think Delphine deserved to lose her belts in the ring that night. Um, I don't think Katie did anything wrong. I don't think there's any reason to be critical of Katie. In boxing, you know, boxing's a very unforgiving sport, and there are breaks that go into your direction, and there are breaks that work against you at some point in your career. And I think Katie's gotten a break, but that's sort of just the way, you know, the 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 the, the, the cookie crumbles. Someday. I don't know, the shoe might be on the other foot. Uh, Lou, thanks so much for joining us on The Explainer. All right, no problem. I think from talking to both Lou and Gav there, I 
obviously understand how to watch boxing a lot more. I think um, I understand the scoring system, but I also now have much more of an understanding of why there's always so much controversy around um, boxing results. And it's just down to that subjectivity, um, which allows people to have opinions on winners and losers rather than there being outright ones. So that is, as you both said, a podcast for another day and probably one for the 42 and not for the explainer. But thank you so much for joining us and explaining um, everything about Katie's win. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to The Explainer. This episode was brought to you by executive producer Christine Bowen, producer Aoife Barry and assistant producer and tech operator Nikki Ryan, a man with a lot of patience. Thanks also to Gav and Lou for their excellent contributions this week. I'm Sinead O'Carroll and we'll be back next week with a brand new topic. In the meantime, check out some of our other episodes. Last week, we looked at how the Healy Rays have gone 22 for 22 when it comes to elections. There are also episodes on the new heartbeat bills in the US, why there won't be an EU army, Patrick Quirk's conviction, measles and vaccinations, John Delaney and the FAI, and what Ireland can do about returning ISIS members. If you're enjoying these episodes, please leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you and catch you next time.